G'day guys and welcome back to Fearlessly Australian. I'm Danny Green and today we're going to talk about shame. Shame for like in my experience with high school made me isolated. So I just I I hid my addictions and I hid my all my issues which made it worse. As we take you deeper into some really interesting topics. When I lost, you know, I lost in front of a lot of people. Mm. So you felt that shame and that mm. guilt of losing because I felt I felt guilty losing because I had so much support and so many people coming to see me mm. win. I've got two blokes in the studio to talk about their experiences as teenagers that made them feel like they weren't good enough or that they didn't fit in. And also I suffered from ADHD so that means I loved being on the roof at the school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I loved kicking the footy, I loved being outside but staring at a blackboard is like the most mental and crazy thing to me. But they found ways to overcome those issues and are now doing amazing things with their lives. Brett Blake is a stand-up comedian who's been called a bogan genius in the press. Oh man, I'm excited to be here. You guys pumped or what? Yes! Man, I'm so excited. Comedy's back, ladies and gentlemen. And Theo Gavrilescu is a facilitator who works with young men to explore and understand issues that they're dealing with. I started looking online of like, what does living right look like? What does living a, a good life look like? And I saw it was like integrity and discipline and selflessness. All right, g'day guys. Uh, season two, episode three. I'm here with Brett Blake and Theodore Gavrilescu. Um, firstly, did I get that right there? You did. Sweet chat. Um, <laughs> firstly, Brett, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, mate. Uh, I'm a mulleted man who does comedy, uh, loves adventure bikes, and uh, also suffers from ADHD and dyslexia. Okay, yeah. sweet. Oh, we'll get into that. You'll, yes, we we'll, will. We'll jump into that later. And Theo, tell us a little bit about yourself. Young well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a recovering messed up person and um, I help kids with their mental health and fitness because um, I'm just trying to be the man I needed when I was a kid growing up. Yep. Yeah, cool, babe. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get into that a bit later, mate. Yep. And um, today's, uh, today's topic's got a few hard ones. Um, one of the topics um, we're going to discuss today is the word shame. What does the word shame mean to you, Brett? Um, shame's a difficult one. I think shame's something you put on your, yourself a little bit, but like my story is... Um, I, when I started going to school at you know year one, I straight away, day one, realised that school wasn't for me. I remember seeing a word on the board and they asked you to write it down. I just remember being overwhelmed, not knowing what it was um, and all the other kids writing and stuff like that. And uh, I freaked out. I pretended I was sick. So I went to the medical bay just to get away from everything. Mm. And then it took me about the next two or three days, the same. And then one day I did something real weird and it kind of was like a kind of set me up for who I am. I didn't, I didn't realize it until I got sent this and I started thinking about this, but I, I, put, I was sick, well, I was pretending to be sick because I didn't want to do the work because I didn't understand it. And I put my hand on my head like that on the table and I slipped and my head hit the table and people started laughing. And I was like, that's a good feeling. That's who I am, right? So that's when I started being, I think, I think early on, started being a comedian. Uh, I was Adelaide Fringe. If you haven't been to Adelaide Fringe before, it's like a big circus. There's rides, there's attractions, there's carny folks, right? Before I walk to the stage, right, before I grab the mic, this guy at the back just yells, hey, mate, if you're here, who's looking after the Ferris wheel? <laughs> so that's from year one. And throughout my, all, my, most of my, all my school life, I struggled with reading, like dyslexia. I don't know if you guys know what it is. Mm. It's like when you start reading 
words in the above line jump into the other line. Peas look like bees. It's a nightmare. Mm. And no one really knew what it was back then. And also I suffered from ADHD. So that means I loved being on the roof at the school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I loved kicking the footy. I loved being outside. But staring at a blackboard is like the most mental and crazy thing to me. I can't concentrate on that. So through all, most of my school life, I like I sucked. I was probably the the worst person in school, like, you know, averaging like 30% across the board or whatever. And then uh, when it came to year seven, I thought I was going to get kept back. And um, what happened was uh, there was a test that determined what I thought at the time determined when you got to high school, um, whether or not you could actually go into high school. So this the, on the day of the test, I was sick. And then so two days later, when I came back to school, I had to sit this exam, which I thought determined got me into high school or not. Mm. And there's another girl who was uh, sick on the day and she was the smartest girl in the school. And uh, I copied all her answers in the sick bay because we weren't supervised from teachers. And uh, when I copied, I didn't realize at the time, but that test was actually to determine what class you're in when you're in high school. Everyone was going to high school and I copied off the smartest person. So when I went from being the dumbest person in the school, I went to high school in the elite class, the classes for the gifted kids. <laughs> and my mum was ringing the school like, what the f is he doing in here? You know what I mean? Trying to get me out. And at that time I started being medicated with ADHD medication mm. and uh, which enabled me to concentrate. And then over the next two years, I came from the bottom of the class and started to try and work because I had teachers who believed in me around me and I pushed myself and I became the, one of the top people at the class. Not not at reading, I still suck at English and, yeah. and that stuff, but at maths and science because I could understand it, the mechanics of it. And then through that high school, I probably became one of the probably top 10 students. No way. So I was the dumbest kid in school, in primary school. Everyone ripped me off. They thought I was a shit kicker. thought I was going to end up in jail. I was in fights all the time. I had my name in the book like 300 mm. times. They thought I was going nowhere. And then I just, by chance, by cheating off this girl and getting her, her answers, I was put into the smart class. Then all of a sudden those teachers were like, no, no, you're meant to be here. These are your answers. And they believed in me. It's all a lot of young blokes need or young people in general is hope. Yeah. Just a bit of hope, someone yeah. to believe in them. And there's so many kids. I, I was fortunate. You know, I had my mother and father and friends around me that, you know, believed in me as well. I was very fortunate. There's yeah. so many kids out there that don't have that, that have never had that growing up. Yeah. Brett, that's super interesting because, like, the way I see shame is it's, like, identifying yourself as a bad person. Yeah. What it sounds like you went through was you had an identity shift. Yeah. You suddenly, your people's perception of you initially, like, yeah. oh, this, this this bad person, and you adopted that identity. And then you have these teachers that see you in a better light. Even though you're cheating, they saw you. And then you adopted this new identity. Yeah. And then from that identity, you were able to shift. Yeah. It's weird as well, like, because when someone does shame you, like, or go like, you know, you're dumb, you can't read, they put you in a, in a box. And sometimes you live in that box yeah. and then you become that person, even though you're not that person. I don't think I was a, a bad kid or whatever. I mean, I was like most kids. I'm like a bit of a cheeky scallywag. I'm a shit stirrer. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? I like having a bit of fun. I'm ADHD. I'm all over the shop. For like my story pretty much in high school is like, loneliness was the big source of like why I want to use drugs like coming I was with my brothers and my family where I, where I lived in, yeah. in like sort of a country sort of town well, not country but just like far from where the main city is and then I get to year seven and all my siblings are moved out of home and I lose all my friend groups that I have so yeah. I go to a school with 1600 people I don't know anyone there and just a very lonely kid and 
I had I had this identity of like I was like a nerdy kid. I love like the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and like you know we play in the forest and dress up. And then so I go to school and so I'm a, ashamed of like this person because movies say like oh the loser kid. Yeah. That's where I put myself in high school. Yeah. Right. And then having like going to psychologists and psychiatrists as well for like um I had diagnosed with anxiety disorder and insomnia like yep. these stuff I wouldn't tell people. So in that period, I was like, my one thing was I just wanted to make friends. So I wanted to be perceived by these people how like it would be accepted. So yeah. I was like, oh, I was just very observant, like looking around school and stuff. Like, oh, people like people who go out on the weekends, like they drink, they do, they do drugs, they, you know, get into fights and stuff. Like, I'm going to be like that. Start dressing like that, talking like that, hanging out with the yeah. year 12s, smoking behind like the school and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, got myself in this friend group very quickly. But for me, it turned out like really bad. Um, like when I was 14, I was just like a mess at school. Parents always getting called in, you know, go to the IT teacher, me and my dad are there. And he's like, and he's like, oh, Theo. He's like, oh, where do I start? Um, you know, oh, you know, those two weeks Theo was away this year. My favorite two weeks of the year. Uh, and I was like, oh, this, this guy. And my dad looks at me, just this stone cold face, you know, just looks down at me and just gives me a blast in the car. Cause I was like the black sheep of the family. Everyone else is doing well. See, I think like that's kind of interesting because I had I was so bad at school mm. that if I did anything okay, they were like, "Man, he is nailing yeah. it." You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Do you think shame played a, played a part in your drug use as a young fella? Yeah. So shame for like in my experience with high school made me isolated. So I just, I, I hid my addictions and I hid my, all my issues, which made it worse. Yeah. So I was ashamed, I was ashamed to different things because my friends, they didn't mind that I do drugs, but they minded about other stuff. So my parents, I was ashamed that I did drugs. So I hid that. So it was like coming home and having to put on this big front of who I had to be to them and like hide, you know, getting home and like, I'm um, doing all these things to like hide that I was like like taking stuff like changing my clothes, putting toothpaste on my fingers, and so the the shame for me, the impact on me was that it just magnified everything. Yeah, of like hiding everything who I was, and when and I did get to the point where I I, I changed things around for myself. Like when I was 16, and it, right before 20 summer of 2019, and had this just felt the depths of the pain like this this big empty vessel feeling. I was on a beach in Queensland and just seeing the, the parents and families like enjoying their life. And I had no happiness in my heart when I was sober. So, and seeing that, it's like, I wanted it so dearly and bad. And I remember thinking, thought like, it makes sense that um, I feel wrong and bad because I was living wrong and bad. What in, did you do, mate? What did you do to flip it? I, um, I started looking online of like, what does living right look like? What is living a, a good life look like? And I saw it was like integrity and discipline and um, selflessness. And so I was like, I saw this guy on YouTube and he's all, he was like in prison for 10 years and he came out and was just a very disciplined life. And his, the whole thing was about helping people. So I was like, I want to, I tried this guy's routine. So the next, I was in um, on vacation. The next morning I woke up at 4 a.m. Yeah. I like got on a diet. I was like a pretty chubby boy and had like having like black coffee and tuna and did a workout in the morning and and cleaned the house and then i was just remember sitting on my couch in the morning i was like this feels just as good as drugs yeah. like living this good life <laughs> I, i'm living right and i'm feeling right and it feels 
just as good as drugs. Because I've always used the internet to like, like even in high school, it's like, how do I make friends, you know, on the internet? So always like resourceful. Yeah. And yeah, was, the internet was a powerful tool to me. And I just, I've kept that routine ever since because it just, it's every day, it just feels good to live in a state of like discipline, integrity, and just getting up every morning to make my mum proud. Like that was like, I want I want mum to be proud of the son who she has. Yeah. And then like nine months later in 2020, she wrote me a card telling me how proud of like how, how I changed. Ah, that's massive, yeah. mate. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of shame, I think it's, it's a powerful tool in breaking down shame barriers. Like, so when I was like a year later, when I was 17, I first started posting on social media and yeah. like getting, I was very ashamed of my story. I wouldn't, I didn't tell anybody about, you know, how bad I really was or what I, I'd been through. Yep. And I remember like making a first post on Instagram of like how I, I changed. And it was like, like sort of like a transformation sort of picture and telling my story. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Of just being like true with my story. But that's kind of like what kind of removes a bit of the shame as well is once you can open up and yeah. say exactly who you are, there's other people out there like that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you or yeah. when I suffered, I thought I was the only person who couldn't read. And there's, there's <coughs> communities of people like me. Yeah. You're closer to my vintage and Thea. But um, I think what's important to remember is when you get older, those feelings of shame, they dissipate mm. and they're not the same as, so what you felt as a 14 year old, you yeah. wouldn't feel that now because you're mature, yeah. you've grown up, you've got perspective, you've learned, you've got a bit yeah. of wisdom. Whereas the feelings you had when you were 25 of shame, would be, they would have dissipated now you're 35. Yeah. Feelings that I had when I was 20 years old of shame, and they're different to when I'm 49 nearly, and now I couldn't give a flying rat's ass. Mm. I don't have that. It's like, man, I'll do because I'm, I'm, I've lived a life, you know. I've, I've got perspective. It's a great yeah. point saying that because I can kind of bring it back to like stand-up comedy. Like before, you know, even before we started, you're like, oh man, that must be the scariest thing in the world. And you know, yeah. starting like with shame, very similar. But doing stand-up comedy to me is not scary anymore. Yeah. Because I've done it so long and I've, you know, the first time I did it, I was shit in my pants and I was nervous. And the second time I saw that situation, it got a little bit better. So, you know, now I'm 10, 12 years into a stand -up. Like I'd go out, if I bomb in front of a crowd or don't do well on a new bit, I couldn't give a shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, there'll be another crowd another time. Yep. So it's like. When you're young, like that's kind of like the same journey, like with stand up as to life. You know what I mean? It's like the more you do, the more experience you get, the less you give a shit. Yeah. And I think that's important. You know what I mean? To yeah. keep moving forward. Yeah. So it's like it's a habit of perspective breaking, and then you yeah. get reference experience. So like, like the first time your perspective of of um, like a comedy show would have been scary, right? Because yeah. you had no gauge. Never seen it. And, oh, yeah. Is and this then, normal? And then <laughs> the second time, you're like. You're looking back, your mind's looking back on the first. Yeah. So you've got this perspective and it's like, oh, it's it's it'll be similar to that. And then third, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. But now I've done like a hundred, you know, probably like well, thousands and thousands of gigs. Yeah. Like if one goes bad, I go, well, statistically, the audience yeah. is f***ing wrong. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. See ya. <laughs> what about guilt? Guilt different than shame? Yeah. Considering that shame's kind of put on us by others? Yeah, I feel like a guilt is, I th feel like a powerful tool of your conscious. It's a, like, I feel emotions and things like that are guiding tools. Like guilt is trying to steer you in a certain way. So I, I felt shameful and I also felt guilty for my actions, which I should have. I needed some level of pain to cause me to change. Hey lads, um, talk about uh, being judged. 
Um, can you talk about a time when you felt judged by those around you and what happened? I go to this school and all the all the kids there are like 18, 19 and like they're, they were sizing me up. They're like, oh, like where are you from? It's like, oh, you fight? It's like, who do you hang around? It's like, oh, what do you take, bro? Oh, you only do bongs? That's all you do? It's like, oh, okay. And like, like sort of sizing me up like that. And How old were you? 14. And baby. Yeah. And so I, I'm getting like that and I, I felt very judged. And as I went to that school, I wanted to be more and more like them. So I get to be, you know, doing more and more of the stuff they do, which led me down to where I was when I was 14. And then I leave that school and go to like a very different school, you know, uh, like there's ties and there's like, like suit jackets and stuff. And now I'm like this kid from this last school and I go to this new school and there's a different judgment hierarchy. So it's like, you know, being more like like proper and nice. And I rock up and I'm like, I'm in trackies and a hoodie and I've got a hat on and everyone's like in their suit and ties and stuff. And now everyone's judging me in another way. They're like, oh, this guy's like the sort of, like the bad sort of junkie sort of kid. And having to change myself again. And to finally where I got to the point where I'm in year 12 and I was like, I'm just like, I can't keep changing, you know, cause I've, I'm switching so many, I can't keep changing for all these people. Like just be truly me for everything I am. You, you, you're masquerading who you really are. Yeah. It's and it's exa it's exhausting. Yeah, it's shit. Yeah. How about you, bro? I remember once I was annoying a teacher and she knew I couldn't read well. And um, so she got me to stand up in front of the class. And like, you know, I, yeah, I've been a smart ass, you know, mucking around, annoying the class. She knew the one thing I couldn't do, which was read out loud. And I remember she got me, she goes, I want you to stand up and I want you to read these two pages and no one's leaving until you finish those two pages. Remember trying to get through it and it was just this f***ing shame, judgment. It was the worst feeling I've ever felt. Like it, out of all the dumb things I've done, still that one moment. But that's why I think that, yeah, that is a negative moment in my life, but that's why I'm not scared of, like I'm still a little bit scared when you do stand up because it gets you excited. But I've been in that moment so nothing is worse than that moment. So every time I go on stage and if I'm trying a new bit that doesn't work or it takes me weeks to figure out or I bomb and the audience hate it or whatever the f happens, still nothing is worse than that moment. So I kind of use that as strength. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. I love, I get that. That's, and that's one thing, mate, we're talking about being judged and, and um, you know, shame. When I, when I lost, you know, I lost in front of a lot of people. Mm. So you felt that shame and that guilt of losing because I felt, I felt guilty losing because i had so much support and so many people coming to see me mm. win and then i'd lose mate the, the the guilt that i felt that i carried around for so long particularly you know winning big fights that i had so many people riding on me for so long for 20 years you've been i've been judging it's a it's you know is it hard for you to shut that out though yeah or? yeah it is it is hard because because i'm competitive too and I've, i want to mate you don't have a clue who i am it's oh. grounding yeah what about uh, is is there a person in your life when you when you felt that shame that you could turn to and discuss with and talk to and share your feelings or just unload or just have a chat and not even talk about that shit but just have a chat and that was the person to go to that made you feel better. As I was more open with my my story and who I was, I like was able to attract friends who were like exactly like me, and some people I could you know share the stuff I was really going through and. And I got to the point where I would just, I would share with, with anybody. Cause I found like that was a powerful, like a way for me to remove shame. Like I remember I just, I had like a bit of, you know, an eating disorder as well at one point and had a, had a lot of shame around that. And I remember I was like, 
I heard somebody say that like sh- like share like share your problems with other people and like this is a beneficial thing and I was just like this like jack dude at the gym he was like like massive dude like these giant like delts and stuff and I was like I gotta tell him about it. like uh, he he's probably been through the ringer been through this and like so I just go up to him and like like oh I'm like struggling with this have you been through it and just had a chat with him and, about it and I did I felt like less shame around it. and my my problem didn't feel as bad on me. And I, I still use that to this day. Like sometimes I'll just go, if I'm having a rough day, like share that with like the cash register um, at like at an IGR or Woolies. And they're like, oh, I'm having a hard day too. And it removes the shame for both of us and we both feel better about our problems. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Brett? Um, probably like, I mean, not all people, I don't have the best relationship with my dad. It's something we're still working on. But my dad, I probably talk to him most about things and he kind of had the same experiences growing up. Um, he had ADHD growing up, he had a dyslexia, but they didn't know what it was back then. They just thought, same situation. So every time I'd talk to dad about something, he would be able to relate to it. And he wasn't the smartest person in his family. His two sisters are quite educated and quite well, but he just, he goes, mate, we know you're not be the smartest people in the room, but we're definitely gonna be the hardest workers. It was a powerful moment for me. Yeah, yeah wicked, mate. Yeah. Unreal. Well, we're here on the Fearless podcast, fellas. So let's touch on what, is, what has been fearless mean to you, Theo, as a young 19-year-old man in this world? Fearlessness is something you get to after being in fear so much. Like you are now, like you are now fearless in, like, or more fearless when you're on stage than where you were initially through fear. It's not like something you can just snap your fingers to be. It is something you work through, like t- resilient through, resilient through fear. Yeah, learn. Yeah, experience it. Uh, fearless to me would be telling you that I used to cheer for Mundine. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Danny. Uh, <laughs> please don't hurt me. Um, no, I think fearless, I mean, fearless doesn't have to be a big thing. It's like, oh, he jumped in with the cage with a shark. That man's fearless. Fearless yeah. could be, you know, you're 35 years old and you've been doing a job in accounting and you want to start an apprenticeship as a carpenter. Yeah. That's fearless to yeah. me as well. I think fearless is just being true to yourself. And I think that's like, you know, the most easiest format of it is just be yourself. I think that is being fearless. Fellas, thanks very much for sharing your stories. It was um, it was extremely interesting. It was um you know, particularly blown away by your story as a, as a young young fellow who's come so far in, 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 you know, in a short time, mate. You're a credit to your family and yourself. Thanks. Um, and yourself, Brett, you know, that's a, growing up with dyslexia, I have no idea, and ADHD, particularly back when it was, no one knew what it was, you know, you were just considered a rat bag. Mm. And to where you've come today, mate, it's a, it's a, you should be very proud and your family be very proud of you, mate. And um, yeah, thanks very much for the chat. I really thoroughly enjoyed today, boys. Thanks for having us, mate. Awesome. Pleasure. <laughs>